0: Thank you very much, Dr. Brown. And thank you to all of our presenters for a really excellent session and for staying on time. I'd like to invite all of the presenters up here. Um, And we have about 10 minutes that we can um, do some questions. So let me see if I can find. Thank you. So I'd invite you to either um, submit questions via the app or feel free to come to the microphones and we can take a few. Um, While we start to look for them, I have one question I'd like to start with, uh, Dr. Brown. This is maybe more of a hypothetical question, but if you have a patient, and this is something we have been discussing at our institution a lot, if you happen to get a Richter's patient to a CAR T-cell trial and get them into a CR, would you consider transplanting them after, or would you think that you would watch them?
1: You know, I think I would probably transplant them if they were very young and fit you know, it, as they got older and less fit, there would be a variation in that. But just because we don't have the durability data mm-hmm.
0: yet. Yeah, that's what we had kind of been thinking too. Unfortunately, again, mostly hypothetical. Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: So a follow-up question to that. I wonder with the uh, data for the uh, venetoclax plus uh, our epoch, how much of the uh, the benefit do you think is actually the venetoclax making the, the Richter cells themselves more sensitive, versus just the ability to clear out the mound and enable the delivery of the chemotherapy? So, you know, we were able to deliver the chemotherapy, but it did have still about a 30% rate of febrile neutropenia. There were still significant issues with that. And I know Matt wants to speak because he's going to be testing that. I don't know if he has data yet with his BH3 profiling technique.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an ongoing area of investigation, and I, I think we don't really know the answer yet. I think we did certainly see a fair amount of toxicity from the R epoch, particularly in the older patients uh, who had poor marrow reserve. So, one of the thoughts moving forward, you know, maintaining this idea of chemosensitization with Venetoclax, but maybe de intensifying the chemotherapy component, uh, and that's something we might explore in the next phase of the trial. And we have a question at the microphone. Uh, uh, Continuing on CAR T therapy, uh, we know that the durability is an issue. And uh, uh, yesterday we heard in multiple myeloma session that uh, there may be um, a uh, sort of a trial opening up uh, uh, where we will be um, using CAR T's repeatedly. So maybe that can convince the authorities to lower the cost. That's number one. Number two, uh, when we are using CAR therapy in Richter's transformation, we still need bridging therapy because these are the patients who rapidly progress. And uh, that four to five or six-week period before uh, um, which we will have CAR T therapy ready, I think we need to salvage these patients with some bridging therapy. And what are your thoughts on that type, uh, that uh, therapy itself, Which, what kind of therapy that will be?
3: Well, you address some very important points, I think, with regard to durability of treatment. I think that uh, in diffuse large cell, you have patients who may achieve a complete remission with undetectable disease. And uh, even though there is lack of maintenance of the CAR T cell, they can still maintain a complete response. And this is seen mostly in the CD28 co-stimulatory domain, which is, I, I mentioned, somewhat like a sugar high. Allows for more rapid expansion. Uh, potentially, it's been argued, may be uh, active against more aggressive types of disease. However, there is a problem in terms of maintenance of the CAR T cell. And in fact, uh, three-quarters of the patients at nine months had uh, improvement in the number of normal B cells, which would argue that there's not a maintenance of the anti-CD19 CAR T cells present. And that doesn't seem to be the case in the 41 bb co-stimulatory domain. I think with regard to bridging, it's very um, difficult. Because in the Zuma, the CD28 trial, they did not allow for bridging therapy. And that's particularly problematic in Richter's transformation. And I would assume that uh, some type of bridging is is necessary. I must say there was a a symposium where we had a lot of the people who are doing the commercial product. And it was a little bit disheartening because everyone has their own way of doing it. And everyone is right and convinced of it. And I think that uh, the problem that we may have is how do you reconcile the differences in bridging strategy or whether you use bridging strategy and all the other variables. So uh, I think right now we may be limited in terms of being able to make projections as how the best approach is going to be. And that's a little bit discouraging. I think we need to think about how we introduce these third, fourth, and sixth generation uh, of CAR t cell. Uh, Obviously, there are potential toxicities involved, but I do think we'll need to do it for such entities as Richter's, which even for CAR T-cells is problematic.
0: Great. Dr. Wright?
4: Yeah, I want to congratulate all of uh, the speakers for excellent discussion of very rarely used uh, uh, handled topics. My questions are for uh, Sylvia about the practical place for Notch 1 in the clinical practice of people treating, managing CLL. Because her discussion was excellent, but it did not leave us with any clear idea what to do with the Notch 1 positivity. And the question for Tom is, that he gave a fantastic table of the costs and the antigens and all that, but when you have a patient who seems to be eligible to be considered for CAR T, what do you use? And as Jennifer says, do you use it as a prelude to transplant?
3: Slide in there. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, thank you for the question. It's actually a very good point, And I think Notch1 is a relatively young mutation. So I think there's no clear answer to your question. There are evidences, and we've heard them throughout the session, that Notch1 identifies a subset of patients that are, for example, at risk of transforming to Richter's, so that may have a value in checking it. And I think that we need several more studies in order to have conclusive evidence of when to test for Notch1 and what to do when we find a Notch1 mutation. I, I also have to say that I come from Italy, where we have a public health system that Essentially cannot afford costs of monitoring or checking all these mutations. So we are looking at very limited subset of patients and we are uh, um, We are using the mutations that really make a difference and so far I think what we know what there is there is firm data on TP 53 and very little else So if you have to come to a minimum point TP53 and the mutations in the immunoglobulins. Then, of course, if you have more resources, you can add on that.
3: I've known Dr. Rye for many years, and always when he compliments you, he comes back with a very tough question. (laughs) And this is no exception. I think uh, it is going to be a challenge because what I see with the commercialized product, and there's some discussion on this, there's going to be a tendency for us to be very parochial and locked into the CAR T-cell product that we are used to giving. And it's going to be a little bit of a cottage industry, I'm afraid. Uh, It's going to be challenging to compare one product with the next because of all the variables that I mentioned. And so this becomes a problem in terms of looking at complete response rates, duration of response, and so forth. I think to try and evaluate this, we certainly have to look at toxicities. Uh, However, the complete remission rate is really the key in terms of how many patients are achieving complete and deep remission that lasts for a long time uh, with abs- absence of detectable minimal residual disease. I think that would be one metric for comparing all the differences between strategies, but as you know, that there are problems in doing that type of comparison.
0: Great, thank
6: you, and Dr. Coleman? Yeah, Richter syndrome continues to be the bane of our existence in this setting. Um, I was wondering if anyone had considered adding polituzumab uh, to EPOC, Instead of EPOC-R, EPOC-P, since uh, the antibody is directed at the B-cell receptor. Anybody?
1: It sounds interesting. I'm not aware of anyone doing it.
6: Yeah, I think it's a great <laughs> idea. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, um, uh, with those patients who have the Notch1 abnormality, I was wondering if anyone had considered adding an HDAC inhibitor in light of what Dr. D'Alias had presented to us.
1: I'm sorry, I missed part of the question.
6: Perhaps concerning using an HDAC inhibitor uh, in those patients who had a notch one abnormality and transformed in light of what Dr. Dialia had presented to us earlier. Nobody?
5: We've done it in, in, a, in, a, in a cell culture plate, and it worked, but I have no experience of... Well, we've got to come up with some new
6: stuff, folks. <laughs>
0: Thank you. And we have a couple of questions that have come in via the app. Um, one I wanted to post to the group. Is there any data on Notch1 mutations predictability for venetoclax response?
2: I, I think there's limited data looking at that question. I, I haven't seen any convincing difference in terms of durability of response based on Notch1, but I think the, the numbers of patients tested have been very small.